Hey, hey, y'all. It's me, Robin. And just real quick before we get to today's episode, if you are loving listening to the podcast, or maybe you don't know because you've just pressed play for the first time ever, but if you like to listen to things in your earbuds, you are going to be so happy to know that Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors is now released as an audiobook. You can get it in Audible or wherever else you get your audiobooks. And of course, you can still get it in print and ebook. If you go to robingobel.com slash book, it's going to give you all the options, including that you could order a signed copy from my local bookstore. Alrighty, y'all. Here's that podcast episode you're waiting for. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the Parenting After Trauma podcast. I'm Robin Goble, and today I am just delighted to introduce you to my dear colleague and friend, Laura Strom. If you're in the club or in being with, you already know Laura. You know, she's my right hand everything. Laura, I, you know, sometimes I joke that like for me to do life, I, I kind of need a handler. <laughs> and Laura, she does a great job. My, like basically reading my mind and anticipating my needs and kind of making sure everything doesn't fall apart. I met Laura, I don't even know when, 2015 or 2016, because she was looking for a uh, clinical supervisor for her um, clinical license. And I remember she sent me an email and called me Miss Goble, which is so funny now. Um, and Laura was my really only clinician that I helped get to earn her clinical license. Uh, I kind of feel like Laura was so amazing that she was a great one to start and <laughs> stop with. And once Laura got her license, then we just got to turn into colleagues. And she initially was helping me do trainings. So she would come to my trainings and she'd take care of the people and she'd take care of me. And she really just made sure all my live and person trainings went off without a hitch. And when I started the club back in January of 2020, it was obvious that I needed Laura to do it with me. And so Laura has been a part of the club since we started. She is so important in the club. And then now in being with, she manages, she's in charge of, she's kind of the lead small group coach. So she helps me kind of pull off being with, and then she also helps to run the team of coaches that um, are present in being with. So Laura's amazing. She also knows all the things about crafting and chickens and gardening and her and my husband have become good friends and she's they're always helping each other with things that I don't know anything about like for example chickens <laughs> chickens and gardening and if there ever indeed was some sort of zombie apocalypse Laura is about the only person in the whole world outside my husband and my kid that I would snag and say hey let's let's survive this together so 
That's how amazing she is. I'm super excited that you're going to get to get to know her a little bit better. Last month, Laura made a post in the club forum and it was just so profound that I asked if she'd come on the podcast and talk about it. The post was about impossible questions, impossible situations, and impossible decisions. You know, the the kind of decisions and circumstances that all y'all who are parenting kids with histories of trauma, kids with big waffling behaviors, kids with vulnerable nervous systems, the kinds of decisions that y'all are facing constantly in your parenting. And the post just resonated so deeply for me and also for everybody in the club that I really wanted to have the opportunity to share this moment um, with as many humans as possible with everybody listening. So y'all, without any further delay, here's Laura. Laura, I know when I asked you if you would come on the podcast, (laughs) you probably didn't jump up and scream, yes. So I am so grateful that you did say, yeah, I guess. (laughs) You're willing to be here with me today and record this and really just share something that feels super important. Um, with as many people as possible. So thanks for um, going to the very edge of your window of tolerance for me of and for my, my listeners today. Yes, just for you, Robin. Yeah, there was definitely a grimace, but also a, well, I'm going to say yes, yeah, because you know I do think this is a really important topic. And, um, you know, then kind of, thinking about how I'd been wanting to talk about this and make a post in the club, but had been sitting on it for a while. And then when I finally did just, you know, the response of how much, you know, people really resonated with it and that it felt like an important thing that needed to be said that we maybe don't hear said. And so Yeah, it felt like something important and I could tolerate, (laughs) you know, being recorded for a little bit. And then, of course, I'm always excited for more opportunities just to share Yeah, and stretch my own window of tolerance. Stretch your own window of tolerance. We've got some good co-regulation going on here. Lots of felt safety. and Absolutely. And in all seriousness, just very, very grateful. So... So yes, this post that you made in the club and you messaged me and you said, Hey, I've been not kind of needling this around and you asked me to read it. And, um, and then you, you hit post. And just like you said, the response was, and I mean, totally expected, like, of course it landed this way, but it, you know, whenever somebody puts something vulnerable out into the world, you just, there is this moment of like, what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, And, and so, yeah, exactly what you said is is like, well, I, this feels so important. Let's get it even to like more people. Mm -hmm. So can we just start with the post? Would you read 
sure. the roast that you made. Yes. Okay. Oh, and here comes a um, my meowy kitty. So <laughs> if you see her. Okay. So sometimes I sit and think about the club and this forum and I'm overwhelmed simultaneously by gratitude and grief. One of the very special things about the club is that it creates a space for persons to come together who connect over uniquely intense experiences that occur in their everyday lives. One of these experiences is how often everyone here is faced with these utterly impossible questions, situations, and decisions. The ones that feel like no matter what you do or say, it will be full of burden. These are experiences everyone may encounter at some point in their lives. However, here, we are much more likely to encounter them, maybe even on the regular. So an example would be having to put your loved one in a hospital or facility because they were an imminent threat of harm. You know this is what had to be done to keep them safe since your job is to keep them safe. Yet they may not see it that way no matter how much you explain. So you're met with anger and threats of what they will do if you don't take them out, how much they hate you or say you hate them or the pleading, the pleading to please let them go home. The promises of how They have changed. Everything's changed if you would only give them a chance. All aspects of this scenario are heart-wrenching and so incredibly more complex than it seems. And I'm sure I don't have to list all the reasons why out to you. And so many other examples that could go here. Impossible questions, impossible situations, impossible decisions. And you may be alone in facing these impossibilities day to day, but you also aren't. I have no tips, suggestions, or answers for these impossibilities. But what I have come to say with great gratitude and also grief is one of the things that makes the club so special and unique is that you are not alone. None of us can solve your crisis in the moment, but it is without a doubt that we can all share in the understanding of what it feels like to be faced with impossible questions, impossible situations, impossible decisions. Even if we don't have the energy to post about it that day or ever, you can hold the thought and the connection in your mind. 
a lot like I did while wanting to make this post, but not sure when or if I ever would. And here, we all face the impossibility of each day together. And while maybe worn down and wore out, we survive each day of impossibility together. And each of these days, inches, impossibility, slowly forward towards possibility. It still is not fun. It still hurts. But we make it through what we (laughs) really thought was impossible. This unspoken in the moment connection brought me a bit of solace in an otherwise heart-wrenching experience. During one of these impossible moments, and my hope is it will do that for you too. How was that? What was it like to read that out loud? Yeah. Yeah. My authentic experience in this moment is just like so much gratefulness for you, like as a human, as a person in my life and that we like do this work together, but like, I know you're comfortable with me kind of being the the, the front person and the person in charge. Very much so. <laughs> and like the club wouldn't be what it is if we weren't doing it together. And so so grateful for that. And I hope everybody in the club knows that they probably don't because we probably don't say it enough. And, but it's totally true. And just so grateful about, you know, we laugh about this sometimes, like how did me and you cross paths? (laughs) Right. And then once we did, we just, it just stuck. We just, just kind of like, Oh yeah, no, well, it's just this thing. Yeah. And in these ways, it's like, we're so perfect, but I, and I think people who know us both really intimately would say, of course, we were perfect. Like Marshall would be like, of yeah. course, like Robin yeah. and Laura. But I feel like people who only kind of know us kind of would be mm-hmm. like, Robin and Laura, <laughs> how do those two people go together? Right, right. But but we do. And that really was just such a like, oh, my gosh. Like, as you're reading this, like, how did I get so lucky to have Laura with me here? So. Well, and then, of course, I, you know, think the same about you. And then, as we often say, like, we are very different, but in the ways that, you know, well, I guess in a kind of some personality and in getting things done, but in ways that really complement each other. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And then also very same in some ways that are just expressed differently, I think. Right. Expressed yeah. it in the world differently. So, yeah. So it was... I would imagine it felt really gutsy, right? In your role in the club as like one of the people who runs the club, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily yeah. a member, but aren't we all both the same, right? Like yeah. I get as much out of the club personally, mm-hmm. right, as I do professionally. And so what was that like? What was it like to just be so vulnerable? Yeah, so... I mean, that was definitely an aspect of kind of the hemming and hawing I did around 
whether to post this. And, you know, some was just waiting till, you know, there was enough regulation and felt safety for me to talk about it. But, um, yeah, it was a bit strange at first of, well, because when we think about these, you know, quote unquote, like leadership type things in most of the world, like, well, no, you, you know, stay this persona and blah, blah, blah. But I think it's important in the club and, you know, with a lot of the people who need the type of work we do or that we work with and everything that they get that we get it yeah. because some of these things are things that you can think you understand or you can understand to a certain level, but you don't truly understand the depth until you have felt it. And so I came around to the conclusion that it was important for me to share this for one of, you know, creating a space for our members to be seen in this way and to have a bit of that, oh, okay, so yes, she may do these admin things and, you know, but they can really connect and resonate. And when they say like, I see you, I feel you, it's not just words, it's authentic. I'm interrupting the show real quick because if you happen to be a new listener, you might find yourself being a little overwhelmed by all this information. That makes total sense. I mean, there's like 150 episodes plus all the free resources that are available over my website. It's just a lot. So many folks have asked me, where do I start? So I created a separate podcast stream called Start here. What I did is I took the 10 episodes that I want you to listen to first, and then I want you to listen to in this specific order, and I put them into a separate podcast stream so that you don't have to search for them. You can just press play and they'll play one after the other after the other. If you go to robingobel.com slash start here, you'll be able to get an invitation to subscribe, and then you'll be able to listen right in the same podcast app you're using right now. RobinGobel.com slash start here. Yeah. I'm, yeah. So I've been, you know, with you is, I mean, still so far away. I'm not there with you on a day-to-day basis. I know there's so much that's going on for you that I still don't even know about, but certainly been watching you, you know, figure out your way through mm-hmm. this, impossible yeah impossible experience mm-hmm. that is what led to these words and to this post and it is pretty remarkable cuz you aren't parenting a kid with a vulnerable nervous system but you yeah. certainly could have been mm-hmm. when when you wrote that right like how many yeah. parents in the club or in our, you know, in, in the work that we do, you know, the mm-hmm. work that you do as a therapist or the work that I did do as a therapist, or you worked in an inpatient mm-hmm. you know, yeah. hospital that these huge 
decisions around safety and where somebody's going to live. Right. And the, what felt like to me, like when I read your post, this like moment of self attunement, there's, there's Mm -hmm. nothing that I could do for you that would make like a practical thing I could do for you or anybody else that would have made, you know, any of this easier for you. Mm -hmm. But this, this moment of self-attunement, I think Mm -hmm. of, of really being honest in a scary way. I think there's, there's no right answer here. Mm -hmm. All the options are crummy. Yeah. And it was in, you know, these very in the moment kind of experience of knowing that, you know, I mean, like I said, like no matter the choice, it's going to be full of, heart-wrenching and burden and all these people you know are having people that you wish they could help or want to help but there isn't really anything tangible and it did truly bring me some comfort to just think about the club and all of these you know families that we work with and all of these people who understand this experience and well, you know no we can't really help in the moment but just to know that yeah i wasn't alone like others have felt this and can understand because sometimes it's just knowing that someone else gets it and sees the level of you know just pain and confusion and grief and all the things that go with it can be so comforting but also that you're not you're not the one who's like losing your mind like like that too yeah that absolutely because it it really there'll be like am i doing that what is it what how do i and yeah yeah, and it's really, you know, I, I do think somewhat in our human nature and then somewhat culturally, we do sort of go through the world thinking in this kind of binary, there's a right choice and a wrong choice, a right thing to do here, a wrong thing to do here. There's an eight, there's two doors and you choose from one or, mm-hmm. um, and I mean, in almost no circumstances is that ever actually, <laughs> Right. Ever actually true, but in many circumstances, the stakes are a lot lower. And so we just don't really spend a lot of time thinking about it, I don't think. But Mm -hmm. you know, when when those of us find ourselves in these circumstances where like these are like life or death, literal life or death decisions Mm -hmm. that that we're making that aren't just impacting uh, like they're impacting Mm -hmm. somebody else's life in this tremendous way, in this there's this belief. And it must be in our like attempt to try to control things that are uncontrollable, right? Of like, mm-hmm. if I just thought about this long enough, I would right. come up with the right solution. Right. And and you can't. Yeah. <laughs> and you have literally thought about every remote possible scenario into the land of irrationality. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, that part is so important. I think to say too, because mm-hmm. I know uh, everybody's nodding too, and everybody in the club would be like, "Oh yeah, it's like we're just making stuff up too." Like mm-hmm. <laughs> we're coming up with solutions that, are, like, yeah, but not even an option, right? Like because mm-hmm. our yeah. we're turning ourselves in knots so badly. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and I think you had mentioned before of, you know, it, it with that felt a sense of like, well, if I think about it long enough, that it feels like someone's playing a terrible joke. Right. Um, right. I think you said it's like somebody's playing a terrible joke, saying that there's this right thing to do, but there really isn't. It almost, I know when I've been in these situations, this feeling of like, it's being withheld from me. It's right. like the right answer is out there somewhere. Mm-hmm. And some very mean person yeah. <laughs> like, knows the answer and isn't telling me. And so mm-hmm. I'm lost and all alone. And mm-hmm. if somebody would just say like, right. like there's this fantasy right answer. Mm-hmm. Especially when I think, you know, those of us, and then we have reached out to and talked to and begged and pleaded to so many different people, agencies, doctors, anything for some kind of help. And they don't have any, or sometimes they just make it worse. Right. Oh, right. I mean, more often than seems reasonable, do professionals make things worse? Yeah. Yeah. And I know this is true in your situation and I know this is true in the families that we work with that if there was a magical right answer, Mm -hmm. it doesn't like the things that would make it the magical right answer. They're not things that exist, right? They're not things that our healthcare system would pay for, Mm -mm. but they actually literally don't even exist. And I think about that a lot Mm -hmm. for like the kids that we work with that are the most vulnerable and the most struggling mm-hmm. that like what that child and their family needs, mm-hmm. like those things literally actually don't even exist, let alone they don't. exist in their community and yeah. exist in a way that could be affordable. Right. No, I mean, just the love, the genuine level of complexity yeah. that is the reality of our families and these lives that these bureaucratic systems either aren't to the place of being able to acknowledge and understand and attempt to grasp yet. Um, But yeah. And so, and then all of that too does start to weigh on that. Like, well, am I just crazy? How can all these people I talk to, nobody be able to help? Or there just be like, I mean, really, this is it. These, these are these are my options. Right, right. I had a parent ask me once. She was mad and rightfully mad mm-hmm. about like all of the, you could say like failed services that she'd had before mm-hmm. landing in my office. And she's she's like, "What do they teach you, people? Like, right. why doesn't anybody know how to help my family? Like." What mm-hmm. kind of families do you know how to help? Right. I was just like, yeah, that's a very fair question. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Um, very much so. Um, yeah, it is. It's just, and for me, you know, you're in this role right now in both places, right? Somebody who's trying to get, you know, your family the help that you need, and then also trying to get families yeah. the help that they need. And 
I know in my, in, in my work as a professional, but also training professionals and right. The, the therapists that are not the therapists, but the professionals that we work with inside being with mm-hmm. sometimes all of us having to take that breath too and remind ourselves like, Oh no, there's no answer here. Right. I'd love to tell you what to do next. Like, genuinely. No, I really I would. would love to. Yes. I wish I could be out of a job. Yeah. Like that, just like, here are the answers and it's simple and easy and go do it. And then nobody needs me. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Think of all the other things we could do. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's, I mean, in a way it can be, feel a little I don't, easier is not exactly the right word, but just, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, but to think about these big things, like having to make the decision about, you know, uh, out of home care or a treatment mm-hmm. facility or, you know, these big, huge decisions, but it's like, it's also these little teeny tiny decisions, right? right. That, you know, and I think about working with a family who has a teenager who mm-hmm. just doesn't have like the the co-regulation on board, the developmental mm-hmm. capacity on board to do things that, you know, their same age peers are going. And it can even be kind right. of minor things like, mm-hmm. can I go to the movies with my friends? Yeah. Right. And for a parent to have to be confronted with this, like, like, I know that my child doesn't have what they need to have in order to be successful in a setting like that. And so if mm-hmm. I say yes, I'm setting them up for failure. Right. But if I say no, you know, now we've got a potential like major relationship issue, right? Like my mm-hmm. teenager thinks I'm mean or I hate them or I'm doing this on purpose to be, to punish, you know, like there's yeah. all these things and it's like, no, I'm just trying to help you, but they don't see. And it's mm-hmm. like, it's, it's sure that's small compared to these big, huge, like, mm-hmm. do I put my kid in the hospital decisions, but they're still so painful, right? To be absolutely make the right decision and so such desperate emotion on both sides yes desperate for social connection and desperate for these opportunities and yet you're desperate to protect them and keep them safe and try to help yes you know not send them into failure so that it just becomes more of these negative experiences and what do you do and the true belief, like I'm thinking about what I know about your situation, you know, like this, this pleading of like, if you just let me, like mm-hmm. I'll change, I'll do, yeah. do, I'll do better. Yeah. And how often do we hear that from our kids? And I remember telling you like, oh no, that person means it. Like they really right. in this moment believe. Right. Just let them, they can do better. Mm-hmm. They're not trying yeah. to trick you or be mm-hmm. manipulative. Really mean it. Right. And it's like, you know, you and I can, too. yes, I can empathize that. Yes. yes. In this moment, in this moment, you genuinely mean it. Yeah. And his, you know, history and these other things have, you know, shown that, but then once it gets down to it, or you're not in this moment, yeah, it's much easier said than done. And there's very great risks at stake. Yeah. And to have to then make that decision yourself and 
and yeah. know that the next step isn't going to be like, oh, you're, you're right. You're totally making the right decision. I'm so grateful for you for keeping me safe. <laughs> yes. Right? Like that the, for me in those situations, it's almost like a lack of being seen myself. Like when I mm-hmm. don't get, when I don't get seen for like, you're right, you're making a really hard decision. I can see how it was the best one, even though it was really hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, that, that's hard for me to regulate through. Yeah. So to make this really hard decision and know that the other person is never going to see it the way mm-hmm. that you do. And you have to do it anyway. Yeah, I mean, I remember having these moments of, I guess, kind of first, I wanted to say moment, but then I was like, no, there's moments where I had to keep reminding myself that, you know, in some of these things, I have accepted that they may hate me sometimes or think I hate them and all of these things. And yet, you know, I have decided to take that and know that they're taken care of or that things are safer than them maybe thinking they're, you know, happier or more regulated when it's, it would be very, very short lived and then things would kind of downslide. And I guess regulation you have to have on board for that. Like how, you know, I think even in the time period that I've known you over the last many years, like, like to how much you're, you're being asked to be so connected to yourself right now. Yeah, that is so hard. It is really hard. And I think important to also note for everyone listening that, yes, even though I'm a therapist and these are all the things that I specialize in, I do not do it, quote unquote, right every time. I do not always speak with my, you know, regulated voice or owl brain. And, you know, we just come back around to that repair and that I'm human. No kidding. And also, as as you were talking to, I had this huge swell of compassion for you. That's like, you've, you know, you're somebody who's built a, a pretty good community for yourself. Like you have good friends, you have people who love you and care about you. And, mm-hmm. you know, if I really would have, if it hadn't been on the day my book was due, would have <laughs> got on an airplane and driven you home. You know, it's like, I really would do these things for you. And I know you have other people who would do these things for you too. Mm-hmm. And you're still doing this all alone. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's nobody else who's as invested or experiencing the emotions Mm -hmm. the way that you are, who ultimately like the decisions are falling on you and you're making them all alone. Yeah. I mean, and there's, there really isn't anyone else legitimately, um, which I think is something too that, yeah, everyone or many people listening can resonate with that just there isn't anyone else that's able to attempt these things um, and make these decisions for your family over time. And, you know, a series of kind of crises and events that you kind of go, this, this stuff only happens in like movies and those like dramas, like old lifetime network. Um, I have ended up, um, being like 
power of attorney and uh, responsible for my grandmother who lives multiple states away. And, you know, there was a long history of intergenerational trauma, which, as we know, just compounds things. And so you're not just dealing with what's in front of you, but generations of things that have happened. Um, And a lot of, you know, unsafe situations, conditions, experiences, and eventually, you know, working through and having to, you know, put her into some kind of 24-hour care um, when, you know, it's a little relevant that she was refusing to leave the home at all to go to doctor's appointments. And so to then have to, you know, make these decisions and then once she starts to get a little bit better, you know, it is this, well, I'm fine. I've changed. And it's like, well, you know, 80, you know, five years doesn't quite change in a week, but thank you. Um, and it is, has been a bit eye-opening of how much too of working with an elderly family member can be a lot like working with a child. And I mean, developmentally, we do kind of see that we do regress. Um, And so some of the questions and demands and situations and, you know, ability to look at and understand the world and function in the world um, does really revert back to kind of being like a child. But they're, you know, have many years of stubbornness in there and then two or multiple states away. Um, And multiple aspects of vulnerabilities for your your grandma that there's, there's just a lot going on in this Mm -hmm. situation. Lots and lots of added complexity is that it's not just about a physical health issue you know that there's just so many Mm -hmm. so many unique nuances and complexities and when it comes right down to it there is no great there is no good option it's like no what's the best of these crappy ones Mm -hmm. yeah and just the you know what it is like to suddenly you know there's you know, of course, there's always been things that I've helped manage or offer my co-regulation and other things through the years. But then for things to suddenly decompensate uh, so much, and then you are just really responsible for this other person's life and well-being and having to make these decisions about that, that, you know, all of the parents listening have to do every day and so suddenly yes these decisions that seem little about where they can go or who they can talk to um, become really big things when you know there's situations that are unsafe or people who take advantage and take advantage uh, unhealthy influences which yeah again all of our parents have to deal with and think about every day all day 
the weight of that alone. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how is it? How do I keep this person safe? Whatever safe <laughs> means physically, emotionally, you know, mental health. Yeah. Terms, but like, again, I think there's this there's this way that we've convinced ourselves that we have that power. Mm-hmm. You know, to even ask the question, how do I keep this person safe is, is yeah. you know, implying and how oh, I can. Right. And relatively not miserable. Yes. Because what, you know, we have to think about quality of life. Absolutely. Gosh, it's so important that you just said that. Because that matters to you. Absolutely. That matters so much. And then that feels for me like we just come right back into that impossible word. Yes. That's like, how do I keep this person safe and not miserable? Mm Mm-hmm. And yeah, that, that, those impossibilities of there aren't many options or, you know, then when you're faced with, um, you know, those, you know, family members where no matter what you suggest, um, they're going to turn it down. Um, so we have a lot of our kiddos like that, that, you know, it has to be their idea or, it's just, it's not going to be right no matter what. Never. And so just that impossibility of hopelessness of, right. and of not being seen, of desperately also trying to take all these different factors in and address all of them. But, you know, they're not able to really see and understand and take that in. So in that moment of realization, like there's a, no matter what I do next, like there is nothing that could be right. Mm-hmm. What What's helpful about pausing and saying, like, you're right. Mm-hmm. Nothing will be right. And we still have to do something next. I think... For me, it helped or helps switch it from being more of this like frantic grief to, I guess, a bit more regulated grief because definitely, I mean, the grief is still there. The pain is still there, but there isn't this tornado inside my head and inside my body um i guess it could be a bit more of you know it's working towards some of that acceptance um it is i was gonna say like doesn't feel as painful Mm -hmm. but i don't think that's necessarily an accurate statement it just feels different yeah i mean i can think of moments in my own life where I've sat, I've really been like, no matter what, and it feels like chaos. And in the mm-hmm. moment, I'm like, it doesn't matter what I do next. Like everything I do next will be wrong. Yeah. And there is, I resonate a lot with what you just said. Like there, it does feel the difference between this, like overwhelming tornado of like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. She just mm-hmm. almost this like, it must be that like the attunement to reality. Of, right. Like, you're right. Like regardless of what happens next, it will not be. I think it lets right. you breathe yeah. a bit because when there's that so much of that chaos and vibration and yeah. it, 
it's hard to breathe. <laughs> and when we can make that like big sigh and come into a bit more of that acceptance or regulation, then it does maybe also help us to then be able to turn to some of the things that maybe we can do or, you know, maybe even a little self-care or self-compassion in that moment. And, And that did just really kind of click in my head is when there's all of that chaos and the like, well, I just have to figure it out. It's there. Someone's keeping it from me. I, I can't really have that self-compassion for myself. Right. But when it switched to, oh, okay. Yeah. This is the reality. Then I can think, okay, I'm not just, you know, insane or going insane. This is what the situation is. Um, and just have a bit of yeah just that self-compassion and space to be yeah because I'm like remembering situations that are coming to mind for me the it shifts for me from being so like kind of outward focused and this Mm -hmm. like what do I do how do I control this how do I make the right choice and then and shifts a little bit to just more like inward focused of just mm-hmm. like, okay, like this yeah. is reality. It's terrible. Mm-hmm. And it is. Right. And, you know, it's just such a, a strange thing of, you know, I guess, like I mentioned at the beginning of the post of this, Know, overwhelming gratitude and grief. Yep. Because it still just sucks. But yeah. it's different. I guess it's more manageable. It's, I don't know. Yeah. It's funny how the like felt sense of, of gratitude doesn't necessarily have this like, I'm so grateful feeling. Right. Right. Like the, it's hard to even articulate in this moment, but Mm -hmm. um, that sense of, of gratitude has for me, this is kind of like, like almost this open kind of spaciousness. Mm -hmm. That's relief is the word that keeps popping into mind that just relief of, yeah. Even if it is like, okay, I'm not the only one. Yeah, it's I'm not crazy. Yeah. Um, and that there are people who understand because it does become this overwhelming feeling that no one gets it. And so nothing anyone can do or say or be is going to be helpful in comforting me. But when you do feel like there is that connection and being seen heard and you know kind of held (sighs) yeah i mean this sounds this could sound so like exact like a huge exaggeration but it's a moment of like having your existence like confirmed yeah like i exist i'm not imagining this like i'm here i'm solid i exist and i think like when i think of these moments when 
these, yeah, these moments, like what we've been talking about, I can yeah. almost start, I can truly start to feel like I'm starting to come undone. Like right. the word entropy has always come to mind for me. It's like, poof. Yes. And I'm just like disintegrating. And now what becomes so scary is that. Right. As opposed to this thing that we're facing. It still feels like mm-hmm. it's the thing that we're facing that's so scary. But really, if we paused, it's like, no, what actually feels so scary, so terrifying mm-hmm. is this. And, and again, this is my own personal experience. It's just like, no, I'm I'm coming undone and at risk of ceasing to exist. Yes. And it can feel so trite to be like, that's oh, just so helpful to be not alone. It's just, it's so much bigger than being not alone. It's right. just like re-anchoring into I exist. Mm-hmm. And wow. it is certainly easier to tolerate impossible things. <laughs> and it feels like you're whole sense of being isn't, you know, erupting into molecular <laughs> chaos. That is so true because yeah, whether it's this sense of just like unraveling yeah. or yeah, I, and I think to me in my head when it's like, I'm just going to break and become insane, but it's this almost intangible, like yeah. I, I don't really know what my brain thinks is going to happen, but it is this just intangible, just avalanche of what I think will become that I will just be this avalanche. And yeah, there is this, yeah, it's like my, this aspect of like my existence Mm -hmm. will not be there. I'm no longer human. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. It feels good to just even say that out loud because I know for a long time I was like, that's a little, um, feels a little extreme. Yeah. And it, it is extreme, but it's also very real. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And so it is, this is actually a bit of a, another post I may write, but kind of these, uh, you know, the, those strange validations of, people being able to see and be like, yeah, this is so hard. I don't know, you know, kind of how you're doing it and these other things. It's like, thanks. That feels really validating and okay. I'm, I exist now, but then also just this like, oh yeah. Okay. So it's as bad as I think. Cool. It's just this very awkward feeling because it feels good, but you know, it's not this thing we, it should quote unquote like feel good about so it's, it's these very strange validations that the do just validate our existence and our being and allow that connection and understanding and at, just like when i think i might be hearing you say is like and goes hand in hand with another moment of grief because i do think yeah. there is always like the slightest hope <laughs> that like somebody has the solution and they'll give it to me yes and when and even though it is, you know, and, and the folks in the club are so good at this. And of course me and you are, are good at this kind of what we do for work. And so we're pretty good at communicating like this with each other of just being like, that sucks. This is so hard. Mm-hmm. I can't, you know, like, and that is, that is wonderful. But there, yes. there is like this new micro moment of like, oh mm-hmm. no, really, you're not going to solve my problem. Right. <laughs> yeah. And this, 
I think there can even be a bit sometimes of this slight sense of almost hoping maybe it is just me. Like, oh, I'm just overreacting a little bit. And so soon as I regulate, um, it's going to be, oh, oh, yeah, well, of course. And everything's going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah. So to be, to get the reflection of like, oh, no, it really is that bad. Yeah. This is certainly a very, and we're laughing and don't mean to be trite about it, but it is a real double-edged sword of like, oh no, it really is that bad. Yeah. And there's, then again, it's like, now we do this all over again. Like the grief Mm -hmm. that comes with that. And yeah, yeah. It does allow for, again, a bit of that more regulated grief of validating the existence, validating our reality. Yeah. Regulated grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there we go. Oh, <laughs> Across country in unison, exactly. sigh. I know we are quite far from each other. We are. <laughs> well, it doesn't ever really feel that way, though. It really doesn't. It's such a testament to what it means to have people who've become like a part of us. Like to really live inside, you know, our neurobiology and I moved Mm -hmm. from Mexico to Canada and (laughs) I I would say like my people that I was as close to are still my people like I'm Mm -hmm. as close to. It just doesn't really even matter. Yeah. Well, thanks again for really, you know, I know stretching your window of tolerance and the saying yes. And also just for everything. Um, I just told someone the other day, like I, my thing, you know, I have very strategically put people in my life who fill very Mm -hmm. important roles that keep my life together. Yes. (laughs) And you fulfill an extremely important role. (laughs) Keeping my life together and Mm -hmm. also just being such a good friend. So thank you. And you do the same. And, you know, as always, while I might say yes with a grimace, I'm always genuinely excited and happy to do it because, you know, I do need someone to push me a little bit every now and then. Yes. All right, Laura, thank you so much. Thank you. Every day, every day, big decisions and small decisions, impossible decisions. It's so unbelievably exhausting to be constantly faced with decisions that are not good no matter what you do, no matter what way you look at it. They're they're not good. Thank you for hearing and witnessing Laura's story today. It means so much to me that I can bring y'all together, that I know that it's safe for me to ask Laura to be on the podcast because the people listening are are y'all. And of course, I know it's safe to ask Laura to be on the podcast and introduce her to you because I know Laura so well. And I know her, the way that she can speak from the heart. And I know how well she knows you. And I know how well she wants to show up in the world and and be somebody who sees you in the same way that I do. And it's just so amazing that I get to have you all in my life, you and my audience, and then people like Laura. So, so thank you. I will look 
so forward to seeing you back here next week on this Parenting After Trauma podcast. If you thought the episode was helpful, you know somebody who might benefit from it, please share it with them. The more folks we can expose to these concepts and to my guests, the better. It matters and it matters so much. So yeah, please share and I'll see you next week. Are you ending this episode with maybe a big sigh of relief? Like, yes, finally, someone gets me and my kids. But also maybe a sense of like, okay, but now what? All right, y'all, I've got lots of possible now what's. If you want to connect with me directly, like pick my brain, have access to me almost every day, not to mention hundreds of other parents from around the world who totally get what it's like to be you, then you're going to want to join us in the club. We have monthly live events including groups for siblings of dysregulated kids, a huge video library with something like 80 or 90 videos, plus transcripts and certificates of completion. Plus, of course, a very active forum that I'm participating in every single day. We open for new members periodically. So go check robingobel.com slash the club. If we aren't open now, you can put yourself on the waiting list and I'll let you know the moment we open for new members. That's robingobel.com slash the club. Now, if you're a professional and you want to strengthen your capacity to work with the families of kids with big baffling behaviors and vulnerable nervous systems, plus use all of my materials, including a 12-module course that follows raising kids with big baffling behaviors, plus be included in an online searchable directory so families all over the world could find you, then you're looking for Being With, which is my year-long immersive training program that runs January through December. So you'll want to go to robingobel.com slash beingwith, read all about it. And if you're interested, put yourself on that waiting list too. Now, if you just maybe need a little extra connection and co-regulation, but don't feel like you need to join the club, then you can just keep listening to my podcast. Or you could go subscribe to my Start Here podcast, and that'll give you 10 episodes in order that will take you through cultivating a great foundation of parenting with regulation, connection, and felt safety. That's at robingobel.com slash start here. You have to go there. You can't just find it in your podcast app. Or you could get yourself a copy of Raising Kids with Big Baffling Behaviors, paper book, audio book, ebook. You can get that anywhere books are sold. Or you can just head to my website download one of my very many free resources. I keep them all really easy to access at robingobel.com slash free resources. Webinars, masterclasses, ebooks, infographics, all sorts of stuff. Go check it out. See what of those things could be supportive of you or maybe to the other adults in your life who are helping support you and your child. There are just so many ways that you and I could be more connected and you can get the amount of co-regulation and support that you need. 
If it feels like a lot to remember, all you have to do is go to robingobel.com and take your time clicking around, seeing what I got there. I am so, so glad you and I are connected now. And I can't wait to be with you again soon in our next episode of The Baffling Behavior Show. Bye-bye, y'all.